You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. I'm starting to see a lot of first ice photos out there. This episode, number 11, we talk about ice safety what to do if you get in an oh shit moment and fall through the ice and how to get out of that oh shit moment. So here we go, guys. Listen up. Guys, you guys have a good Thanksgiving. I hope you did. I hope you had a lot of good food. Hopefully, you got to catch up with some family. You know, this time of year, you hear a lot of deer stories and some fishing stories from the fall from your family members who you hadn't seen in a while. So it's kind of cool to catch up and listen to those. I myself went downstate and uh, got to hang out with my family, which was nice. Got to eat some good food. But you know, as I was sitting there eating all this good food, you know. It's that time of year where you got to be careful because we got first ice forming. And you don't want to be too heavy walking out on the ice, so you got to be careful. So I was like, I need to stop eating this food. So I held back a little bit because we got first ice, and that's what this episode is about today. I'm joined by Trent Einigner from uh, the Bemidji, Minnesota Fire Department, and he is the fire captain out there in Bemidji. And he comes onto the podcast today to teach us a little bit about ice safety Give us a few reminders because we all need some good reminders this time of year as we head out. We go over gear. We go over some uh, tactics and things like that when you're out on the ice. If you get in a searching situation, uh, you know, like an oh shit moment that I was talking about earlier. How to get out of that oh shit moment and uh, how to take care of yourself going into this ice season. So uh, I want you guys to pay attention to this one. And there's one episode that, you know, I really hope you guys remember or hits home. It'd be this one because we got to stay safe out there, and it's very important going into the season that we we come home to our family. And uh, yeah, so give it a listen. Here's Trent from uh, the Bemidji, Minnesota Fire Department. Trent, thanks for coming on to do the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, Lee. All right, Trent, give us a little bit of background on yourself. You know, I know you're a great angler. You've been fishing your entire life, but Tell everyone else your, you know, your qualifications and what you do uh, to be on this episode, uh, especially around ice safety and your qualifications and how you got into doing what you do. Sure. Um, a few things. One, I've, I've been fishing my entire life. I grew up uh, right on Rainy Lake on the Canadian border, um, northern Minnesota. And so I've been on the ice my entire life. I work as a, uh, as a full-time firefighter. And one of my qualifications is I am an ice rescue technician. Um, I am trained to do ice rescues. I'm in the water every year in our um, yellow Mustang suits. Uh, I take the training, you know, you know, usually a couple times a year um, as far as being in the water myself. And uh, along with that, I'm also, you know, as far as on the fishing side, I'm also a fishing captain as well with uh, Rainy Days Guide Service up uh, in northern Minnesota, right on the Canadian border. And we do offer both uh, summer and uh, Ice was up there as well, so uh, pretty pretty well rounded both on the fishing and on the uh, rescue side of this topic. And I know what a great you know fishing guide and angler you are. 
But I'm curious on the firefighting side of things. Have you always wanted to be a firefighter? No, no. I uh, went to school to, um, for business, got out of school, got my stockbroker's license, uh, jumped a couple job to job, and in a community down by Cedar Rapids, Iowa at the time, and I decided I, I grew up in a smaller town, the International Falls, only like five, 6,000 people, so I decided I wanted to live in a little smaller town, so I moved to a small town outside of Cedar Rapids, and when I was signing up for my water bill, I had to drop a deposit into the... Uh, mailbox outside of city hall and the gal's like well it's right next to the fire department and and we need firefighters if that's something you guys could help or you could help our community out with i would really love to have you on the department and uh thought for a minute and it's like um almost every one of my uncles and a lot of my cousins are volunteer firefighters and um there's there's a lot of them in my family and it's like well you know what i can i can volunteer i can help out new to this community meets few people and uh, eventually over the years that ended up morphing into my full-time career. So what, so what made you want to go to it full-time? You just like, it, once you started to volunteer, it's just something that you fell in love with kind of like, you know, it sounds like it's fate almost. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, a couple things. One is, you know, the work's very rewarding. Um, you know, a lot of different jobs have customer service. And as far as I'm concerned, we're the highest end of customer service there is, um, our, our paycheck and, they can uh, take our paycheck away from us. Um, you know, so it, it's the public service. And, um, you know, the other thing I really like is I really enjoy the outdoors. I love hunting. I love fishing. Um, and, and the schedule of being a full-time firefighter allows me a lot more time to do those things. We work 24-hour shifts. So I work my work week in two days, you know, two 24-hour shifts. You know, for example, this week, it's I think it's Monday and Friday or Monday and Thursday this week. That's, okay. my, that's my 48 hours. Now I got five days to do the other things I love to do. And I've you know, earned my full paycheck for the week already. Wow. I bet you a lot of people don't know that, that you're on for 48 hours straight like that. That's a, well, you know. we, we do, it's 24, but it's two, two 24s throughout the week. So, sure. so yeah, so 48 hours is a typical work week for us. A lot of other fire departments average a 53 hour a week. Cause it's the way it shakes out with a few more shifts a year. Okay. Now, it, I mean, just just because I'm not educated on this, does every fire department have to go through the the ice rescue safety kind of stuff that you guys are involved with as well? No. Nope. Um, so, what makes you guys unique, or how how does that training? Can you kind of go through how how that uh, unfolds? Uh, with us, um, well, part of it's because we have a ton of lakes in this area. Uh, one point. I lived in uh, Western Minnesota. We really didn't have any lakes down there, and mm-hmm. we weren't trained on ice rescue at all. We didn't have equipment for ice rescue, you know. But up here, within 25 miles of the town of Bemidji or city of Bemidji, we have over 400 different lakes. You know, a lot of them are small potholes, but you know, we have tons of lakes. And then you know, you extend that ring out a little further, and we have a lot of big lakes, um, which are our mutual aid partners, almost all of them. Uh, so. They have an incident, and the smaller department that's assigned to that area can't handle it, don't have the resources. Um, they request us, and we come help. No different than if we have a fire and we need more help, we call them and to come help us as well. Okay. You know, so you, that, that outer ring, all of a sudden, you encompass, like, Red Lake, Winnebagosh, Leech Lake. You know, so you start, now, now some of these bigger lakes that everybody knows, you know, fall right into our, our outer ring of uh, protection area. You know, that We're not primary there, but we assist there. Okay. And what kind of training do you guys go through to, you know, to, to get this certification? Like, are you guys, do you have to actually get submerged in the ice water yourself to kind of, during your training to know how to react to it? 
Um, luckily, we don't have to go in without without our suits on. No. Um, right. Okay. But we go through an extensive classroom portion. I think our technician course is like a 12, 12 it's a long weekend course, 12, 16 hours. I can't remember the exact amount. Um, okay. But it was, it was a long weekend course to get our technician level um, certification. And then annually to renew that, the bare minimum requirements that we have to do is we have to get in the water. We have to do a self-rescue without ice picks, and we'll talk about those more later. We have to do a self-rescue with ice picks. Um, We have to do a go rescue, which is you have a rope tied on us, and we use a sling, which is basically a noodle with webbing through it to rescue a person, and then a rescue with a device. And that device can be um, like our blow-up rescue boats. They're called a Fortuna boat. Um, or else uh, our hovercraft or another device to um, use the rest in the rescue. Wow, that seems like a lot. So you know, so you guys kind of get your um, your your class under underway, and then you know, the, the, going into this, it's a, an important time of year because you know, right now it's it's almost Thanksgiving. I know you guys are getting ice over there in Minnesota. Some guys are actually posting photos I see of them being on the ice. Correct. Can you just talk? Can you just talk about how the lakes are forming ice this time of year? Obviously, we know it's got to be a certain temperature and all that kind of stuff. But how does a lake start to freeze, and what can people kind of start to be aware of? Well, the lakes, you know, the smaller body, smaller, more shallow bodies of water will start freezing faster um, because they don't have the depth of water to, um, you know, to, to to hold the temperature in, okay. uh, you know, by sheer volume. So, like, for example, Upper Red Lake, it's a huge lake, but it, it deepest spots like 16 feet on the, um, the non-reservation side of the lake. So, so it, it freezes up pretty quick because of that. And they always freeze from shore out. Um, you know, the other thing, you know, by shore, sometimes you have to be careful because, you know, if you have a rock or a sand shoreline, you're usually good. But if you have a real mucky or swampy shoreline with reeds or cattails and stuff growing out of it sometimes those um that vegetation as it dies you know decomposes and it kind of creates its own heat and it can make for weaker shore ice as well right and then also too when you're by the shore the rocks when if the sun hits them and heats up underneath the ice sometimes and that can that can make it really weary around that area as well correct correct yep so, and then, okay, so then let's just go over the basic, um, you know, you, everyone always typically sees that photo of what safe ice is and how you can progress throughout the season based off of thickness. Right. So I think, so can you go over like, hey, a minimum thickness of this, for the most part, you're good to walk out on. I, you, you cut out on me there, bud. Can you repeat that question? Yeah, sure. So like, um, you know, th- there's always that photo this time of year where it shows like ice thickness and what, how far you can advance base, basically saying like, you know, a minimum amount of thickness to walk out on. And then I think the next one is like, okay, it's minimum amount of thickness to bring out a four wheeler or a oh, sled yeah. on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you go through those real quick? Um, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I think it's less than three inches. They say to stay off of. Uh, three to five, you can walk out on five okay. to seven, I think is a ATV. 10 would be like a light car and over 12 for, for a pickup truck. Okay. So if it's three quarter time, you want a couple more inches. Um, but the, 
that's kind of confusing that chart because that's total clear ice thickness everywhere that you're going to be. So just because you got five inches here doesn't mean 10 feet in front of you, you're not going to have two inches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's based on good, clear, solid ice. And again, you know, if you, if you look at that ice, a lot of times it's not clear, solid ice, you get snow melted into it and different things. And anytime that ice isn't nice and crystal clear, it, it's somewhat weaker than the clear ice. So, you know, even though they put those charts out, you know, it's, um, unless you really know what's out there and you're checking it, it's always, uh, best to play it a little bit on the safer side, you know, go one step back from wherever they're going. You know, if you're traveling, you know, with the truck, stay on the plowed roads that are maintained because those roads that the snow pushed off of them punch down ice deeper. And that's going to be the best place you can possibly be as far as ice thickness on the lake. Okay. And let's say this time of year, you're inching your way out on the ice for the first time. Mm -hmm. You were talking about that clear ice. What are some other visual cues as you're going along? Obviously, probably having a spud is a good idea, checking the ice as you walk. But what are some things where you're like, all right, that looks a little sketchy. Um, You know, how, how does the, how does the ice visuals, what do you, what are some things to look for? And any change of appearance as compared to where you're at is uh, a clue. Um, It may or may not be true. You know, if you have an area with snowpack on it this time of year, um, you know, your clear ice might be four inches thick underneath that snow. You might only have two inches. It's very, um, very common for that to be the case early this time of year. But a snowpack that insulates and prevents some ice from forming in those spots. Um, obviously cracks, uh, pressure ridges. Of course, you usually don't get the big pressure ridges this time of year because there's not enough ice to push them up. Um, and rough ice. You know, if you have rough ice where the ice is broken up and then refroze, or maybe it didn't refreeze right where you're where you're looking at it, that's those are cues for uh, you to become a little more cautious as to what what you have going on there. Gotcha. And then, you know, what do you see this time of year with the common mistakes with anglers? Is it just kind of the stuff that you've been talking about with not checking the ice? Or is it, you know, everyone's got that, you know, kind of that lust just to get out there to be the first one to either post a photo or get on the ice and start, you know, fishing right away. Um, this time of year, what do you guys, what do you guys typically see? Just pushing the limits too far? Oh, definitely pushing the limits. Um, you know, with, with us here, the you know, the we're, we're pretty lucky because most of our bodies of water are smaller. Um, so those lock up pretty tight. Guys can get out on those. But the bigger bodies of water, um, a lot of our rescues that we end up doing are up on Red Lake. Um, we get called to assist either the Red Lake Fire Department or Kelly or Fire Department, the two primary response agencies to upper and lower red in, in totality. And what happens up there, because it's such a big sheet of ice, even though the lake's frozen all the way over, they fly over it. They're like, yep solid ice shoreline to shoreline and i'm this is definitely going to um affect like where you're at over in michigan uh, saginaw bay specifically comes to mind um what happens is if you get a wind you know the wind that creates friction against that ice and against the snow sitting on the ice and you get enough wind it's pushing enough on that ice that it's going to start moving that ice and it's you know if you have an inch of ice or two three inches of ice you might have enough wind to push that whole sheet and enough force to break that few inches of ice and start pushing that whole sheet around. Um, so what happens is that that ice sheet will slip usually underneath the, uh, 
the shore ice and start pushing out, pushing in, and uh, the whole, create great big cracks and leaving people stranded out on the ice. Most of our ice rescues are people that are on top of the ice still, just they can't get off of the ice. Gotcha. So it's not like they've fallen in, it's just that wind shifted or they've broken off, and now there's, you know, 80 yards between them and the next body of ice to jump onto. Exactly. Um, you know, reality, like, for example, if we were to go to Red Lake or even some of close areas in our response area, if, if they're in the water by the time we get there and get all of our stuff set up to do a safe operation, unfortunately, there's a good chance it's going to be a recovery operation, not a rescue. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good point about these big, bigger bodies of water. You know, I fish Saginaw Bay a lot, but, you know, a lot of folks, especially when they see it on, you know, social media or wherever, or they hear a hot bite on a forum, they may have never gone out to a larger body of water before, like Saginaw Bay. And when you first get on that bay, there are those bigger bodies of water. They're super intimidating. And a lot of the guys, you know, I don't know if they know to play the wind out there. So I think that's a very important part to bring up and, you know, pressure cracks and things like that. What can you suggest to people who are going on those bodies of water? Is it just keeping that phone on and, and looking for later on in the day to, to, to track the winds and all that kind of stuff? Uh, definitely keep your phone on. Have a phone on. You keep it warm. Um, yeah. We all know yeah, that that's cell phone, important. You, you let it, you know, you get sub-zero temperatures. That cell phone is going to be dead in an hour or less a lot of times. If it, uh, you know, keep it on the inside pocket so it stays warm. Um, and then you have it if you do need to make that phone call to have somebody come help you out. But watch the weather. Look at where you're at. Look at what potentially that ice could do. Um, again, on you know, just my, my knowledge area in you know, Red Lake, we get a good south wind. You know, most guys are fishing off of that south shoreline. Good chance they're going to start pushing north and opening up that crack there. Um, right. You know, and I, I fished Saginaw last year. I actually got the privilege to go over there and uh, fish for a few days. And, um, you know, again, very interesting and dynamic body of water. And I was glad that we had it person with us that was knowledgeable on the, on the water with us. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's go over, um, a few things before we get into the actual rescue part. Let's get into must have gear when you're heading out on the ice for, for safety reasons. Uh, must have gear. First thing would be, um, your, your chisel or spud bar, whatever you want to call it, um, to check the ice thickness as you go. Um, pretty good rule of thumb. You know, you, Pull your sled with one hand, carry your chisel in the other hand. Uh, on, on your, with your sled, try not to put a rope. You don't want the sled right next to you. Um, and don't wrap the rope around your hand. You know, hold it in your hand or double it in your hand. So if you fall in, you can just let go of it. Otherwise, you fall. It's going to come and hit you right on top of the head and maybe pin you under that water. Um, good idea just not, not to be dragging your sled right, right there, um, right next to you or tying it to yourself. Um, with the chisel, my kind of rule of thumb when I'm going fishing, and this is early ice and I'm being careful, um, is two strikes in one spot. So okay. two good blows in one spot. If uh, I don't have water coming up my hole, I keep, you know, take a few more steps and go again. Um, you know, I mean, it's a slow, tedious process to work your way out. You're not, you know, you're not just running and swinging it every once in a while. Um, but I like two hits in one spot. If I don't have water, um, I know I'm probably two, two to three inches down. You know, if I don't have water coming up, I'm good to take a few more steps. Okay, so spud bar, having a good spud bar, or ice chisel with you, and then uh, what do you recommend next? 
Uh, well, the next set of gear is the actual ice picks. Um, okay. The ones that, uh, you know, most guys wear them around their neck. Um, in our ice rescue suits, they're actually sewn into the sleeves and sit on the outside of our sleeves. I would absolutely love to see these companies selling ice fishing gear do that. They're a little pouch sewed on the outside of the sleeve with the string and the ice picks uh, built right into the suit. Oh, dude, um, that's a great idea. Put them in the wrist because a lot of times when they hang out, you know, they just hang around your neck. If you fall in the water, there's a pretty good chance they could pop off, you know, your neck and then you're searching for them when you're panicking. Yep. So that's a good idea. Right, exactly. You know, luckily, I think most so if you fall in, they should be floating in the hole with you. But um, again, it's uh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, like when we do our training, the difference between being able to get ourselves out back on top of the ice with with the picks compared without there, it's ten times easier to get out of the hole and not back on top of the ice with the ice picks. Um, several companies make them. You can make your own with a wooden dowel and a screw. I mean, it's they don't have to be fancy. There you go, homemade ones. If you uh, if you want to save a buck or two, what else? Uh, rope. Okay. Um, and a rope, rope that's like not. Yeah, and a rope that's still not zip tied up and all that kind of stuff. You know, you see that sometimes, like they're still in the package or right. something like that, and everyone keeps them in their sled. Like, oh yeah, I got a rope right here. Right, because because that rope's for rescuing the other guy, not for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and the last thing that I definitely highly encourage that you bring along is a fishing partner yeah and i'm not talking your black lab because you know I'm, I'm talking to person um you know and when you walk out space yourselves out you know you can go tandem one guy 10 yards behind the other or you can go side by side either way you know if you're going side by side both should be chiseling as you go um otherwise if you only got one chisel go tandem you know let one guy 10 yards in front and just take your time and work your way out and if something happens get that rope to you and help get you out of that water. Right. Okay. So let's go through a scenario of, let's say that you are out with your buddy. Right? You know, I, you guys... there's one more thing I'd like to add. Yeah, quick. go ahead. Sorry. Um, you know, if, if you're doing this early ice stuff and you want to go out real early, you want to be that first guy out there and be the hero, wear a life jacket. Oh yeah. Good point. If you don't have one of the, the you know, several of these companies have float suits now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they have some built-in flotation. They're not U.S. Coast Guard rated, um, you know, so they're, but, you know, if you have something like that, you're probably okay. Otherwise, wear a life jacket. It's not. Yeah. That is so overlooked. Some people, I mean, a lot of them are packed away in the boat. Guys don't even think about that this time of year. That's super smart to, that, I didn't even think about that. I'm going to have to start getting that. It doesn't probably doesn't have to be, as long as it's U.S. Um, Coast Guard approved, you know, it doesn't have to be a really ex fancy one or those ones that it, use the CO2 cartridge to expand. It can just be one of those yellow ones that are approved to, to go out on the ice with you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. So let's get into a scenario where let's say you're, you and your buddy are out fishing. Um, mm -hmm. and then the guy walking up ahead of you or whatever, the other person, they go in the water, they fall through. Right. Can you kind of take us through a scenario of, you know, there's a lot of panic going on. Um, a about the person being in the water and then let's get into the B, the person who's, who's going to have to try to help rescue them. Right. So the, the first thing is kind of going to depend on how close to the truck, how close to shore are you? Okay. If you're less than a hundred yards, I'm going to say, go ahead and get that person out of the water and get them back to the truck. 
if, you know, if you're a half mile, mile, whatever, out into a lake, your first thing you should be doing is calling 911 because you you're going to need an ambulance there to treat this person for hypothermia once you get them back to shore, no matter how you get them back to shore. Um, that fall in the water is going to put, put them into hypothermia, um, you know, because you're not going to be able to get their clothes off them quick enough and everything um, by the time you get them back to shore. So that that's the first step. If uh, if they're in the water and you're close to shore, go ahead and start the rescue right away. Um, otherwise, get that 911 call in. You know, you get at minimum get an ambulance coming. You're probably going to get some people to come help assist with the rescue and get that person off the ice as well. Um, so once they're in the water, as far as getting a rescue, I mean, obviously there's weak ice there, so you don't want to be get up next to the ice. I mean, that's and that's the hardest thing not to do is go right there and grab your buddy by the arm. Um, and that's why that having some rope, some webbing, um, something that you can get to them so you can assist them getting out of the water without you getting next to that ice and having two victims is kind of the key thing. Okay. And then that person falling in the water, what are some things that they should kind of remember as they go in? Because obviously it's, it's, I mean, the shock of the, the cold water, I would assume, would send your brain through a tizzy of panic and you might not be able to think clearly. I mean, for, I mean, probably first step is try to calm down a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And, and it, unfortunately one of our natural reactions when we hit cold water like that is actually a gasp. And that's how a lot of people don't survive is because they gasp and they suck in that cold water right when they go in the water. Um, oh. So, I mean, it, again, now, now you got a lung full of water, you got to cough and choke, choke it out as well as trying to get yourself to the surface and, or stay on the surface. Um, you know, when you're going through, if you have your, you know, cause you're the lead guy, probably you're going to have your chisel or a spud bar or whatever you want to call it, hold it sideways. You know, maybe there'll be enough ice on the sides to stop you from going underwater. Um, if you don't have one, put your arms straight out to the side, see if you can stop yourself. Biggest thing is if you can keep yourself from going all the way underwater, that's step number one, you know, keep your head above water. Um, if at all possible on the way down, uh, once, once you're in, you know, getting out as fast as you can is got to be the number one priority. You know, take breath, you know, pull your ice picks off your neck. Um, you know, your buddy gets you a rope, whatever you do, and then, then start getting out of that water and then just immediately back to the truck. You know, if you're closer to shore, back to the truck to start getting warmed up. Um, that's definitely the most important thing. I mean, leave your gear on the ice. You can go back and get it later. You got to get yourself warmed up where you're going to have, you know, definitely get hypothermia and things can start getting worse quick. Okay. So you make it back to the truck and then what's the best thing to do? Start getting those wet clothes off and just try to get, yep. get some of that heavy stuff off. Okay. Yeah. Get, get everything off. Okay. Get, get the heaters rolling and get, get all the clothes off. Okay. And obviously still call 911 too as well when you get back to the truck or is that like a, your kind of call? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to recommend it. I, you know, at the end of the day, it's your call. Um, okay. If you think you're going to be okay, you probably don't have to. Um, odds are if you're the one that's been in the water. You probably got not thinking straight yet. You know, a lot of, a lot of these same people that are going to go out on the early ice have a lot of pride and probably going to be the last ones to call 911 unless they absolutely have to. Um, but, you know, so you make that call, you know, or let your buddy make the call, the guy that didn't go swimming. If he thinks you're acting funny, then call it in. Right. And then, you know, one thing that a lot of people, I think, uh, 
might forget, but I've read somewhere is, you know, as you're getting yourself out, probably the first thing that you want to do is try to stand up and run away from that hole or start to get away from that hole as fast as you can. But from what I read, it's important to stay flat for as long as you can once you're up on that ice and and until you know you're on safe ice, then stand up. Right. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that we're taught is you, you get up onto the ice, you're laying on the ice and you roll away from the hole. Um, obviously back in a direction that you know is safe because the direction you came from. Um, if the ice is still, you know, questionable, maybe you didn't throw your chisel down yards or something, you know, at that point, instead of taking big steps, shuffle your feet, keep that, you know, keep that weight, less pounding on the ice, less chance of breaking it. Okay. And then let's talk a little bit about you guys going out to do the rescues themselves. What can folks expect when you guys show up? Is every scenario, I would imagine every scenario is a little bit different. Um, you know, some of the gear that you guys are taking out, whether it's just someone floating out there, if someone has actually fallen through the ice, when you guys arrive, you know, what, what, what can that person in distress kind of expect? Um, well, again, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's kind of going to depend on what it is. You're, you're going to have guys coming out, um, in the in the rescue suits so the suits we run are the yellow mustang suits you might see the old red gumby suits um so the guys are going to be coming out with those are going to have ropes and have slings kind of like i said earlier it's kind of like a pool noodle with a piece of webbing weaved through it um put that under your arms to pull you out uh, those are things to look for odds are the rest you're probably going to jump right in the water next to you um that's the easiest way for us to do our job um our, our our technique priority is uh, reach, throw, go. So, you know, we uh, first first one, if we just reach and grab your hand and pull you out, we're going to do that. Otherwise, we might throw something, a rope or something to you. And last one is getting in the water. But th- that's our our priority is that those three. Okay. And then if you're floating on the ice kind of a way, you guys still have all those tow ropes and all that kind of stuff to to get folks back in is that so if, if there's a lot of water in between you and them do you guys kind of have like those um you know those fan boats or are they kind of like those inflatable ones that you guys use out to the ice to get out to them and then tow them back um you know again it's going to depend on your local department we run a hovercraft and okay. we also have the inflatable ones they look like a banana you know so they're bowed up on each end that's it's a specifically a nice rescue and swift water rescue craft um, so th- those are the two that we have. You'll also see the big air boats, the fan boats as well, depending on, you know, on your jurisdiction and who's, who's working in the area. Okay. And your number one priority is always to get the person off, but do you guys even care about the gear at that point? Is it just getting them off or is it, do you guys just kind of weigh the situation, how serious it is? You know, it, it really depends. In most cases, we just get the people off and then we're done. Um, you know, the, you know, perfect scenario. Several years ago, I did a rescue. It was actually a couple um, law enforcement guys that I uh, work closely with on a regular basis. Um, they were out fishing. Wind picked up, busted off the sheet. They kind of blew out. Um, we went out, got them. They left all their gear out there, including their ATV on the ice. And uh, the next day, the wind switched out to the north and pushed the ice back. He went and got on his four-wheeler and drove it home. <laughs> You know, it's good ice. It's just that it, you know, it still broke off. Right. Yeah, I bet you a lot of people like, I don't know, if you guys get out there, they think they can. Oh, I better just grab my ice sonar too while they're here. Or I can grab whatever. But you know, the important thing it, is just to get, 
get the hell off the ice. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's kind of our philosophy. We got room, you know, if it's one person and they got, you know, want to grab their, you know, $1,000 flasher unit, yeah, we'll probably let them throw it in the loading propane tanks and fish houses and everything else in there. We just don't have room. Right. And, that, and it's not a priority. I mean, life, okay. life safety is our number one priority. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So let's get into some, uh, maybe, you know, you're a big angler, big ice fisherman. Um, you know, you've been doing it for a long time. Let's get into some, uh, ice tips for us for catching these things. So the, the safety part, we're all safe getting out there. We know what to do. Uh, let's give us some techniques that, uh, and some fish that you'd like to target through the ice this time of year. Um, you know, one of the techniques I like, and this is not even just this time of year, it's kind of year round, um, Walleyes is my thing, almost exclusively. Occasionally, I'll go fish for other stuff, but walleyes is kind of my favorite. Um, is uh, you know, we all we all put our sonar down, we all jig, but I really like having that dead stick or snare rod right in the house with me when I'm jigging. Uh-huh. Um, and unfortunately, in Minnesota, we can only have two rods. So if you have that second rod, you either have to decide it's either going to be with me or it's not going to be with me. Um, or like last year when we were over by you, we can have three rods, so we can put that have one one dead stick with us and one you know out away from the house um but i really like having that second one in the house with me it seems like a lot of times that jigging will attract the fish in and maybe they're negative to neutral and they're not real aggressive and they don't want that thing you're jigging but they'll take a look at that that's not being moved and they'll, they'll scoop that one up i've had you know i've had many days where i'll have catch 10 fish and nine of them came on that you know, dead stick or the snare rod right next to the one I'm jigging and I can't get them on the jig and I've thrown everything in my box down there on that jig. Um, but they'll hit that one that's just sitting there. Yeah. And what are you typically jigging with to get their attention? I know they're not, you know, just biting it and and that's why you got to go to the dead stick or the snare rod, but are you using something that's making a lot of noise or giving off a lot of flashes to kind of bring those surrounding fish in? You know, it really depends. I, I like stuff with flash. Um, some of these lures that are out now that have flashing lights in them, um, I had excellent luck with last winter on my dead stick. You know, so which case the ones I was jigging was uh, one that was making some noise, had some little flappers on it and stuff. Do you know the name of that jig? Uh, well, we actually made some ourselves. Um Oh, dang. Okay, so you don't have to get into that. No, it, it, actually, if you watch the, the episode of the next bite that we did on Red Lake last year, Gary Parsons kind of shows you the one that he made up. And uh, he's using the Sidewinders by, I think they're cast by Acme. Okay. And uh, he's actually taking the hook off of one of them, and a larger one and a smaller one, and putting them together on the same split ring so that they're clanking together down there. Oh, clanking and making that noise to get him in. Okay. Right. Now draw him in. And, you know, he was actually doing pretty good on it there. Um, but there's days when they wouldn't bite it, but they'd grab that um, dead stick right next to it. And then what was on the dead stick again? Um, I like using the, there's like a little flashing one. Um, it's got little LED lights in it. It's uh, similar to the one made by Tundra, but they're, I don't know. I bought them off of Amazon. I don't know if they're a knockoff or probably the same company makes them. Um, I like using those with the live okay. minnow. Uh, for some reason, the fish really like those. So the live minnow. So you're hooking it, trying to let just kind of let it swim around a little bit, give that bait a little bit of action. Yep. 
Yep. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I, I always took my life. Well, in almost all scenarios, unless I'm using just an absolute plain round jig head, um, I always took my minnow through the through the back. Um, what I do is go about where the dorsal fin is, go under the skin, and then take the hook under the skin and slide it under the skin from the rear of the fish towards the front of the fish, and then come up, come out, so I don't actually puncture the spine of the fish or okay. the minnow. Um, and the reason that I do it that way, even if I'm running just a plain single hook, is I always do it that same way because a fish will almost always try to eat their eat their food face first or head first. So by doing that, going from the rear to the front, you're putting that hook um, right in line where the fish is going to be grabbing it. And that fish is still, that bait is still free to move, you know, around pretty much naturally, like you said, if you don't go through the spine or anything like that. Cor- correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, so is there, um, so what lakes are you going to be hitting, uh, this time of the year? Um, once there's safe ice, obviously. But Red Lake, you know, that's the first one we get that freezes up here as far as a big lake. Um, you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a fun lake. Um, it's not a trophy fish lake. It's when you go to catch a bunch of fish. Um, okay. you know, good, good walleye population there. You, you go get your eaters there. Uh, beyond that, it'll be up to Lake of the Woods. Um, it's always a good time. And then uh, we'll get up to Rainy Lake. Obviously, we spend some time up there with the guide service and stuff. So we'll be up, be up on Rainy Lake as well. And being I live in Bemidji, you know, I like to run out to Lake Bemidji, catch some perch and a few walleyes and some of the other little potholes around here as well. Are you going to come back over to Michigan this year? Not on the schedule, but last year was like about a one-week notice. So <laughs> hard, hard to say. Uh, Do you have no. a good time fish, fishing? Over here in Saginaw Bay? You know, Saginaw Bay is an interesting body of water. You know, we struggled the first uh, first two days, and we got to, you know, fish here, fish there. Um, you know, and it seemed like we were chasing our tail, and we, uh, you know, like we kind of like to call it chasing gut piles. Somebody tells you they did really good, gives you a GPS coordinate, you go out there and don't catch nothing. Um, so <laughs> the, uh, the last day we kind of did a little bit of a Hail Mary and, went out and hit a spot and by the end of the evening i personally had 21 walleyes that day which i thought was pretty good for saginaw bay um and we had a good time we didn't catch any monster fish but but you know that that third day definitely made it worth it how'd you like fishing three rods uh i liked it (laughs) (laughs) you know i I know i I like I, it. that'd be tough for me to come to Minnesota just to sit there with either, you know, one jigging rod or like a, like a dead stick or snare rod or something like that. That'd be tough. Cause yeah. how do you guys, so, so how do you guys run tip ups? I mean, usually you just, if you run a tip up out, you just got to sit there and just kind of watch it and hope that goes off or what? We can have two rods ice fishing. Oh, you can have two rods ice fishing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, yeah. So it was nice like out there cause I could, do my setup where i'm jigging one and i have a dead stick in the house next to me but then okay you know, 20 feet out 20 30 feet out in front of me i can still have a hot box and a snare rod out there as well yeah yeah but yeah kind of get the best of both worlds that way cool all right trent well hey man thanks for coming on the podcast i think this is um it's going to be really good for people especially this time of year to kind of settle down you know think about that ice safety before they go out there uh, make sure that they got all their gear out you know the first a lot of people probably don't even think about the first thing to start getting ready and find is uh, the ice safety gear. You know, they're probably getting their rods and their 
their reels and all their tackle aligned and make sure and all that kind of stuff's ready. And, you know, it's things like this, like you can't have that oversight of, um, having these things in your, in your ice shack or something like that. I actually have like a little box or like thing that I'd kind of put all that kind of stuff in. So that way it's, it's never leaves the ice shanty and it's always there ready to go. Right. Yep. Yeah, definitely. You know, plan ahead just a little bit, spend a little bit of time on safety. Um, you know, they say a ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's right. You know, spend a few minutes, make sure you got your ice safety stuff, especially early in the year. You know, once, once everybody's driving and you're just driving the same paths, everyone else is on, on plowed roads, on some of the bigger bodies of water. It's not as big of a deal, but this early ice is when, when a lot of the accidents happen. And, and of course, late ice too, we have the same, same thing, late ice. Yeah. Same kind of practice you do first thing of ice season. You should probably be practicing in late ice too, as it's starting to break up as well. So. Absolutely. And you have to, you know, there's definitely more, there's definitely more hazards late ice, you know, like uh, somebody pulled off a spear house and all of a sudden you got a, you know, a great big hole from when they're spearing, you know, they're spearing pike here or pike and muskies over by you guys or sturgeon over in Wisconsin. Um, you know, you got, you got hazards like that to look out for late ice that, uh, you know, you know, there's four feet ice out there, but it doesn't mean there's four feet everywhere. Yeah. And water's starting to flow a lot more too. If you got some rains coming in from the shores and, you know, wearing away underneath the ice, that's, that's one thing I know. Uh, there's a similar story. I want, uh, um, actually I just had Matt Bain on last week and he, he was talking about it, how he was sitting there and it started off with eight inches of ice. The next thing you knew it was like wearing away underneath the ice cause there was current okay. and, and he just, you know, fell right through. Yeah, I, I believe it. You know, things can go quick. You know, if you're on a body of water with any current, any springs, um, stuff like that, the ice conditions can change very rapidly. Right. Well, all right. Hey, Trent, thanks for coming on the, the podcast to teach us all a little bit, uh, a little about ice safety and some helpful reminders to keep us safe this winter. And, you know, good luck to you and be safe out there. Hey, thanks for having me. Lee. All right, bud. Cheers. There you have it, everybody. Stay safe this winter. This first ice, you know, when you guys are venturing out. Hopefully you guys learned something from this podcast. I know I did. And, uh, you know, I, I've been ice fishing for a long time now. And it's always nice to, you know, if, if you listen to an episode like this, to get that refresher as you're starting to get your gear together. Uh, some reminders like, oh, you know, shit, maybe I should throw that rope in there. I forgot the rope or that life preserver. I thought that was a really good idea. And I bet you a lot of you guys don't do that um, as you venture out on, uh, onto the ice. Um, so thanks for Trent for coming on the podcast and educating us all. Remember, you can check out Trent uh, over at Rainy Days Guide Service. He's a guide over there. So if you want to do some fishing this summer, so if you want to hit him up over there at Rainy Days Guide Service. And, uh, you know, if you want to support the podcast, all you got to do is just give a rating on iTunes. Just click that star that's all the way to your right. Hit that five if you like it and leave a review to let me know how we're doing here. Also, follow me on Instagram at Freshwater Bite. And, uh, hey, just stay safe, all right? Stay safe out there as we start to, to venture out onto the ice. And, as always, I appreciate you all for listening, and we will see you back here very shortly. Cheers.